Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Bless the speaking and the hearing of your word. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So in any conversation that you're having with uh, someone else, we have what I would call uh, conversational non-starters. Non-starters. Let me give you a couple examples here, and then you'll immediately start to fill in your own. No offense, but... Okay, so that's obviously you're about to offend them. Uh, The next one is... Don't take this the wrong way. Are you ready? Uh, or you could, uh, you know, be a little bit more direct. Would you be open to a little constructive criticism? Any of you guys open to that? Oh, nobody. Okay. Um, you know what your problem is? That's not real Minnesota nice, I know. You know what your problem is? Is pretty direct. Uh, or my wife helped me with this one. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of it this way, but... I absolutely love everything you said and did. So you couch it in the most glowing, you know, when someone's really buttering you up, uh, they're about to tell you how you're wrong. Whenever you start a conversation with how you're wrong, uh, it feels like a non-starter. Now, maybe there can be some rare instances in your life where you're at a point with something and there's a relationship of love and trust with the other person and now you're kind of open to it. But by and large, uh, based on our reactions, especially today, uh, when someone starts with how you're wrong, this feels like a non-starter to us. People do not like to be critiqued or challenged or told this. And it's interesting, uh, that because that's our response, how Jesus begins his ministry. We heard it in Matthew 4 today. As he starts his ministry in Galilee, uh, he starts with the words, repent, which you could translate as, you're wrong. You're wrong. Uh, it feels like a non-starter. So it seems like an odd way for Jesus to begin his ministry. Why not do a little more wooing to start instead of saying you're wrong about something? And in the section that we just read, Matthew 4, uh, this is an interesting thing because um, the description of the place where he starts this ministry, uh, you could kind of gloss over. I mean, most of us don't know how to say Zebulun or Naphtali or Naphtali or whatever. We don't even know it. And so regionally, we're like, what, what is this about? So let me give you a little background on this briefly. So it's from Isaiah the prophet. He's describing this area. And here's your key, by the way. You don't have to know all biblical history to know something. People living in darkness. What are you saying about those people? That they're wrong. Okay, but he gives us a few more keys in there. Uh, basically, I don't have a map for you guys, so I have to pretend that I'm showing you a map of Israel here, right? And up in the north part is the region that they're talking about, Zebulun and Naphtali. And up in the north part, this would be one of the first places where when Israel was conquered by its enemies, they would come in, like Assyria and all these places, right? And so those are the places that fell first. They were the places where the outsiders with their weird religious practices would, you know, kind of mess with the the region and, you know, intermarry and all this kind of stuff. And so for the rest of Israel, if you were from those regions, there were a lot of things wrong with you. 
you were the first place to go down. Uh, you were a place where some of your beliefs about God seem to have gotten mixed up with the Gentiles, which, by the way, is all of us, right? All of the people outside of the chosen people of Israel to start with. So um, you got weird beliefs about God that you've mixed up. You, some of your habits and ways of doing things. Have you ever traveled to another part of the country and been like, why do they do this? Why do they behave that way? It's a weird custom. And so all the rest of Israel says that about the people up north. So you've got the wrong ways of thinking about God. You've got the wrong behaviors and just quirks about you. And you live in the wrong place. You guys have a place in your own mind that's like the place you don't want to be living. That's Zebulun and Naphtali for all the rest of Israel. So for generations, they have been told, and Isaiah's prophesying about this, so you could... How many generations back? You can go quite a ways back. They've been told that they are wrong. That they're the land of darkness. Do you have a person in your life that whenever they speak, you're expecting them to tell you how you're wrong? We're already kind of defensive as a people. uh, But when you know it's coming, your defenses come up even higher. So there's something strange to me about... Jesus, the Messiah, starting his ministry in a place where everybody's defenses would be up. They've been told that they're wrong for generations, and Jesus starts there and then says, hey, guess what? You're wrong. How does that go? In our other reading, we heard uh, Psalm 78. It's a beautiful psalm. Uh, Many of the psalms, there's several psalms that do this, where it's actually retelling uh, the history of the Exodus. So, um, You guys know the Exodus story where God's people are freed from slavery in Egypt and he leads them out into the wilderness and eventually to the promised land. But while they're out in the wilderness, they complain and they turn back. They're constantly turning back with kind of a delusional view of what their life in Egypt was like, which happens to us, right? Whenever we turn back to something that wasn't that good for us in the first place, we always delude ourselves into thinking it wasn't as bad (laughs) as why I left it in the first place. But they keep turning back. And so Psalm 78 This is an example of scripture interpreting scripture too, right? Where you can get a picture or an interpretation of what this was like of uh, Israel in the wilderness. And the psalmist says, basically describes them as, as fickle, as turning back constantly, as repenting not with their hearts, but with their words, with their externals. So they seem to turn to God only for a time when, you know, the, the kitchen's too hot. And then they kind of turn back around when it seems like things have eased on them. And so the psalmist describes God's people as fickle, even as God is faithful. At the end there, you heard God realizes that we are flesh, that we are a breath, right? That that our turning is never permanent enough uh, for our own good. And so their response is strange too. So you got Jesus in this land where everybody's defensive and doesn't want to be told they're wrong anymore. And then in the psalm, we're being shown that there's people that are repenting as an external thing, but nothing actually changes for them in their lives. And it leads me to ask, how does repentance ever actually happen? I mean, we sometimes will get caught up on how could someone do that terrible thing? I'm never surprised by that anymore. That's never a surprise to me as to how people could be, how any of us can be stuck in systems and patterns that we would rather not be in. We know better and we just find ourselves trapped in them. That's not surprising to me. What's surprising to me is the Spirit does actually do this. 
that repentance does actually occur in people's lives. It's probably happened for you or it's happened for people that you love and care about. How does this happen? Miraculously. That's how it happens. Because left to our own devices, we are, we're stuck. We're double-minded. Uh, we just don't know how to turn. And what's fascinating to me is when you think about God's turning of us, his repentance of us, it's not, repentance is not primarily, the reason why this word is so loaded is we only hear it as judgment of person. Which there's an element of that. But the reason why it's so loaded is we tend to think of it only as the bad dog shame kind of word, right? You should feel a certain way about this. Or we see repentance as some sort of behavior modification. You just need to act differently, do something differently. But at its core, to repent or repentance is a turnaround in the best sense of that word. Think about that. It's a turnaround in the best sense of that word. I'll give you a few examples. And maybe these are stories that I've told you before, and I just can't remember that I told you these stories. That's okay. In the church, we retell stories, right? So if you've heard this one before, just file it away. So the first one uh, I was thinking of this week with repentance was a friend of mine in college. He was going into his junior year at a big uh, state school in California. He was good at math in high school, so he'd been kind of tracked along this route. And so he's in this big state school. He's in an engineering program. And uh, his girlfriend of many years breaks up with him. And so it starts to kind of call into question, you know, all this stuff. And he he realizes that he doesn't like the school. He doesn't like his program. He doesn't want to live there. But in his mind, he's got no choice. He's stuck. It's too late, he even says, as someone going in junior year of college. It's too late. I can't change now. This is where I am. And an older uh, friend and mentor, you know, kind of a surrogate uncle in his life, uh, listened to him and counseled him and heard what he was talking about. And uh, when my friend said, you know, I'm stuck, I can't do anything about it, uh, this older mentor and friend said, of course you can. You could go to a different school. You could live in a different place. You could pursue different interests. You're not trapped here. Now, he didn't use the exact words, but you know what he was telling him? Repent. Turn around. You don't have to be stuck in this. This is what happens, by the way, in every recovery meeting around the country, right? Anytime people are gathered, it's what happens every time the church gets together, right? No, we're not not stuck in this. You're not trapped here? Yeah, it's beyond your power, but it's not beyond God's. Turn around. You can turn around. You're not stuck in this. I think of a friend of mine uh, this past week. I was telling him about the sermon, and he was, he's my age, kind of similar experiences in life, and he was talking about how uh, Sunday afternoon he was really caught up in his mind uh, on some stuff that he needed to do work-wise, worried about the week ahead, what he needed to plan, uh, who he needed to meet with, you know, some stressors, projects around the house. You know, people in kind of midlife, when you ask them how things are going, what do they say? Busy, right? They say busy, which is not untrue, but it feels like there's a lot 
uh, kind of pulling at you at various points. And he was describing to me how he was feeling all this pressure around his career, around, you know, how people view him, what he's supposed to be achieving in life, all this kind of stuff. And he just focused on it. And his little kid comes up to him in the afternoon and says, hey, play toys with me. And he keeps putting it off. No, no, I have these other really important, I got this important stuff to do. If I don't take care of this, you know, the world's going to crumble. I mean, that's what he's believing, right? It's all going to fall apart. What else am I supposed to do? But the kid persists. Play with me. And he finally sits down, leaves the other stuff behind, plays on the floor with his kid. You know what the, the child was saying to him? Repent. Turn around. And he said in that, in that experience of playing on the floor, life just opened up. Just opened up. The place where he felt he had to be, have to be going in this direction, this is what matters most, out of the mouth of babes, right? He is turned around. I'm reminded many years back of uh, Juliet and I doing a mission trip to Ghana, West Africa. This was before we had our kiddos, or maybe we had one. Um, I can never remember these things. Anyway, uh, we're doing a mission trip to Ghana, West Africa, and the guy that was uh, directing our short-term mission, but basically what we were going to do is go over there and teach in some Bible schools and help with the start of a new school that uh, another mission agency had built uh, locally for kids there. We also got to go speak at a, an all-girls Muslim high school. I don't know how they let us do this. When you travel from far away, sometimes people will listen to you, right? And uh, anyway, Daryl, the director of our, our mission, he had this mantra that he would say every single time in our training leading up to the trip, and then every single day it felt like during our trip. And his mantra was this, your comfort is irrelevant. And I didn't like that. Okay, at first I didn't like it. First time we sat down in the training room and he's, your comfort is irrelevant. Well, that's not very nice. Of course, I, you know, my comfort isn't totally irrelevant. It affects how I feel, for example. But he kept saying it to us. And then I, when we were over there and I'm getting to talk, you know, teach the word of God at a Bible school for people that are training to be missionaries and pastors in that area. And I got no cool, you know, American culture anecdotes that I can share. It's just the word of God, right? That's all I got with them. And I get to do that. And I hear in the back of my, my head, not because Daryl was standing behind me whispering it, but because it was just stuck in there. Your comfort is irrelevant. In that experience, I realized what he was saying. Repent. There's something greater than that. He's not just saying your comfort is irrelevant. He's saying, in light of what God has given you to do, turn around. There's something far better that is at work. This is what it means to repent. This is what a a turnaround in the best sense of that word means. Jesus comes and he starts his ministry and he says, you're wrong. And the kingdom of heaven has come. You're wrong, and the kingdom of heaven has come. And in fact, Jesus' entire life and ministry is a work of repentance, of turning around. So the passage we read, Matthew 4, it's sandwiched between all these moments of repenting or turning around 
as Jesus begins his ministry. At the very beginning of Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan. This is basically, he's redoing Genesis 3, the fall, and he's turning everything around. He's turning the ship around, right? And so where Adam and Eve fall short and where we do too, Jesus takes the temptation and he redirects everything back to the will of his heavenly father, to the kingdom of heaven coming. He turns it around. And then after what we read today, he goes and he calls disciples to follow him. He says, come and follow me. What's he telling them? Repent. Turn away from whatever it is you're focused on right now. I have something greater in store and you're a part of it. And then he goes into these towns and villages in this place of darkness. And he heals people. And he restores relationships. And he actually allows people to to see who they are in the Father's eyes. Repent. Turn away from where you're wrong (laughs) because the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, do you and I like to be wrong? Not usually. But there's something about God's calling that is so profound. There's a, a band that I really love called the Oh Hellos. I think I've shared this song with you guys before. And they have a song called I Was Wrong. Not going to make you listen to it because, you know, tastes can shut people off. But I'm going to share the words with you. So it's kind of a little poetry reading here. Um, The song is called I Was Wrong. And it's being sung from the perspective of Adam and Eve. So I want you to think about being on a track here, right? And this is what they're saying. I was born at the hands of the potter. And I was torn from the start. I was torn between my God and my Father. I was born at the dawn of our folly. And I was young and stubborn to the bone as I took from the tree that was rotting. I took my chance and bit down deep. The weight of the world was crippling. Now I'll hide my shame with woven leaves. I was wrong, and I'm so, so sorry. Now, this is not where the song ends. There's a little musical interlude. Where is the singer at in their mind and in their heart right now? They're wrong, and they're sorry. That's the direction they're headed. But then this is what she says next. I knew you'd never forgive me. She's sure of it. She's sure of it. She's headed in this direction. I knew you'd never forgive me, but I was wrong. I was wrong. You see, when God is this good in Jesus Christ, we are more than happy to be wrong because the kingdom has come. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.